Let's turn our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We're actually studying Moses' life, but we're going to start in the, Old, in the New Testament, go back to the book of Exodus. I want you to turn to 1 Peter, chapter 5, and verse number 8. And let's go ahead and stand. We'll just read this one verse, stretch your legs one more time. It says in 1 Peter, chapter 5, and verse 8, it's a verse everybody knows. It says, um, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We're talking about Moses on Sunday night, and, it's, and the title of it is Moses, a man God moved. Moses was constantly moving, and God, God used him to move other people. And I think of, as we have went through the ten plagues, if we went through all this, we see how great God was through him. And God used a man that didn't know if he could have been used, but God, that Moses is one of the key people in the Old Testament. If you, if you talk about the Old Testament, his name's probably going to come up. But I want to talk to you a little bit more about the people that he, he was working with. Um, we, we just read in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, a verse everybody's familiar with. The title of this message, I wanted a title of the message, I wanted something that would make you remember. Last week we talked about, do you remember what we talked about last week? Grace and mercy. And how God's going to show you grace and mercy and you're going to have to implement grace and mercy to people. And tonight, the title of the message tonight is, How Long is Too Short? You say, what in the world does that mean? How long is too short? I want to keep, I'm going to ask you to say that a couple times in the message so you'll remember that. This has nothing to do with stature, it has to do with time. How long is too short? And so here we, we pick up the story in 1 Peter chapter 5, and there's some words in here I want you to see, and we're going to look statistically, statistically in, this, in this chapter, but then we'll go back and see what I want you to see in this, and we're going to talk about how long is too short. And if, in fact, when you look at some of these words, let's go back again. I want you to read it with me. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. Let's read it together. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now I want the rest, I had four people read with me, I want everybody else to read with me one more time. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this, let's read it together. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Do you believe this verse is true? I do. Today, before the service, we realize how short life is. I was watching the news and all of a sudden, I, and, I, and I, I called Ray and I was seeing how he was doing and he said, did you hear about the helicopter crash? Kobe Bryant passed away in a helicopter crash today. That just shocked me. I started looking up his statistics. He's 41 years young. Young man. It was worth a lot of money, but you know what? Money, $500 million is what they say his assets were. That doesn't matter right now. It doesn't matter at all. Now, as Christians here, we have something that we need to be. And, and Peter tells us this, and if anybody knows the devil, it's Peter. I mean, he gets himself into some hot water. And so he writes this, and he says, the first thing is says, be sober. Now, when we say sober, it means something different than what this word means. Be sober, it doesn't mean not to be uh, uh, in, in to intoxicated with alcohol. It means to be so sober is to be um, uh, calm in spirit. Understand that, that God wants us to be calm in spirit. Staying on course is what it's talking about. 
Because what, what, what the devil wants to do is he wants to get you off course. He wants to mess with you. You know what I find? that The devil doesn't normally mess with my heart. He messes with my mind. Comes in and he says something and then all of a sudden I think it and then I start acting upon it. And, and we've got to get back to understanding the devil's not your friend. Your flesh is not your friend. It says be sober. We need, to, we need to understand we need to be calm and collected in spirit. Then it says this, be vigilant. Now would you want, if you were, go, if you were out in, in wartime, and you had a buddy that had a problem falling asleep all the time, and you knew they were going to attack, and, you, and your buddy said, listen, I'll take the first watch. How would you feel about that? I would not want that guy to watch. Because being vigilant is not what he is. The Bible says to be vigilant. The word vigilant means to watch, give strict attention to, to be cautious. Whatever you do, understand this, that the devil doesn't want you to be cautious. He does not want you to be calm. He does not want you to control your spirit. He wants just the opposite. He wants you to go by what your flesh says. And so when we look at this, it says we have an adversary. The problem with an adversary is this adversary knows you. Have you ever noticed how we're all different? Anybody different in here? You had to be here this morning to understand this illustration. But I hold in my hand a mint. Just a simple piece of candy. This church goes through more mints than I've ever seen in my life. The Templeton boys that sit over here, they... they, they grab a bunch of them in the morning. I heard him walk away and he told his grandma, he goes, I got 13 today. <laughs> this morning, I'm going to give this back to somebody that lost one and I'm going to talk about how we're different. Now, her husband said she couldn't have one. If you were not here this morning, she opened it up and you know how this is an incline in our church? She told me, she said, I was praying that it had fallen its side. I promise you, Mandy, I'll only tease you tonight about this. But I want to talk about the difference of people. Because I kept re recalling that whole situation. Because the difference between Mandy and Cecil were two different things. When she dropped that piece of candy, Mandy was like frightened. And it went all the way up here. So you have Mandy going. And, but then you have Cecil, it's totally different. He is curious. So you got Mandy going, and Cecil's going. <laughs> They're totally two different expressions. At the same thing that happens, there's two, two different expressions. You got one that's scared to death, and one's going, what in the world was that? And then when I give him the candy, I thought he ate it. Everybody think he thought he ate it? He didn't eat it. He faked it. And I thought to myself when I got back, I thought, how many people walked across that path where that piece of candy went? And Cecil put it in his mouth. You know, we're all different, aren't we? God knows our differences. Satan does too. Satan knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. Satan knows what will break you if you do it on yourself. There's a couple words that I always think of when I think of how God wants us to be. You think God wants us to be patient? Yes, He does. Isn't God patient with you? 
He wants us to show patience to other people, and he wants us to be patient. There's another word I was thinking about, we talked about a little bit this morning, content. We live in a world that's a microwave world. We want it, we want it now. You know, how many of you like microwavable popcorn? It's all right. But you get the other type of popcorn? Ten times better. But you know why we don't do it? it takes too long to do. Right now, the Douthats don't have, the, the popcorn machine's here. But I, I volunteered my services when it was here. They'd, we didn't want to leave it here because we didn't want it to be broken, so we put it at my house. There's something about putting that popcorn in there. The whole house smells like popcorn. And that popcorn is really good. But you know the problem with that popcorn machine? You have to clean it every time you use it. Because it takes some work to do it. We want something easy, and we don't want to work for it. The Bible says that we're supposed to be content. Now answer this question, does God know what you need? He does. You're either going to believe that or not believe it. Most people live their life never being content because they always want something different. You know what I like about my vehicles? Oh, sure, I love looking at other, other vehicles. I like, I, I pulled up by, beside, I'm a Ford guy, I pulled up beside a F-150 today, beautiful F-150. And I saw it, I thought, man, that's a beautiful truck. And I was admiring the truck and and I was just looking at it, and, and the guy was, you could just see him getting bigger. Yeah, it's mine. And I, and I drove my little F-150, it's 2006, and I thought, you know what, mine's paid for, praise God. I wonder how much you're paying for that thing. It's all in the way you look at things. We've got to understand we need to be content. This morning we said, look at the context of where this is at. Go back to 1 Peter, and let's look at the context of what's said here in this verse. Peter's warning us in this, in this thing, and he's telling us some things. But I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through, 12, through 11, and we'll understand the context in this. And I want you to get this. How long is too short? In verse number 6, let's pick it up there. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. I like the word humble. It says we need to humble ourselves. Don't think you're something that you're not. You name one ability that you have, and, I don't, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about pride, you being prideful, but if I, if I were to say, Daniel, does he have an ability? He has ability to play the piano. Denver has an ability to sing. We have a choir that has an ability to sing. We have people that have the ability to teach. Brother Birch can teach. Do you want him to sing? Mrs. Birch, no. We all have these abilities, but let's think about these abilities. You name one ability that you have, and there's nothing wrong with having an ability that God didn't give you. He gave you every ability. My brother made his living on working on vehicles. I just struggle with changing the oil in my vehicle. He has said some words to me, and I don't know if he was lying about the parts and making these up, so I would go to AutoZone and ask for that part, and they wouldn't even be a part. You ever been there where you don't know, but God gave you that ability? My brother was the kind of person that would tear everything down when he got it and then rebuild it. I was not like that. If I would tear things down, there'd be extra parts when I put it back together. We don't have the same ability, but every ability God gave us 
He gave us. It wasn't anything we did. That's why we got to humble ourselves. Look what it says. Who are you humbling yourself to? Because when, we're not, when I compare myself to a person, I can get pride. But when I compare myself to God, I, pride's not in it. Look at this verse. In verse number 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then it keeps reading on this. In verse number 6, it says this. It says, that he may exalt you in due time. He will exalt you. But it's on his timing. So go to the next verse. Then it says this, if you ever want a, a verse about praying, the next verse Peter tells you, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. What we're supposed to do is just tell him what our prayer requests are, and cast your care, and leave it there. So often we cast our care and then we want to fix it. In due time, God will fix it. And how does God answer your prayer? He answers your prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and, and, and wait. We like the yeses. Sometimes we can deal with the noes, but we don't like the waits. But the Bible says, we're not. how many cares are we supposed to cast upon Him? What's the verse say? Casting all. What is a care that you might have? Might be a financial burden. Might be a health burden. Might be a family burden. It doesn't take much to make a family go into chaotic mode, right? Got a phone call a couple weeks ago about something that's happening in my personal, in my, in my sibling's family. Devastating. And you know what? We could sit there and we could try to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. But there's really nothing I can do about it. You know what I got to do? What the verse says, I just got to cast my care towards God because I can't fix it. The only one that can fix it is God, not me. How come we try to fix things? Men in here, we try to fix everything. Remember I had a youth pastor once and he was really good with um, electricity and he was working in my um, laundry, not my laundry room, but my, my um, closet and, and I said, do you want me to go shut off the power while you work on this? He said, no, I do this all the time. I'll be fine. Wasn't very long. I walked in the other room and the lights went down and came back up. And then I hear, ah, and I go back in there and he's burned his hand, stuck the, stuck the he goes, I didn't know that that metal piece went all the way from the tip of your uh, um, uh, screwdriver to the end and I was holding the end of the screwdriver. He was trying to blame me for it. I said, I didn't know that either, but that's your mistake. I said, I'll go, but I knew how to do it. We don't know how to do a lot of stuff. Sometimes when we get careless, we get hurt. In this verse, it says we need to cast all of our care and walk away from it. And keep praying about it, but understand that God's the one in control. He's either in control or you're going to try to take control. There's, there's no middle ground with this. Then we go in verse number 8. This is a verse we talked about. Be sober, be vigilant, because you have an adversary. If you're a Christian in here, you have an adversary. You might not want to admit it, but you have an adversary. You have Satan himself, his demons that will do everything they can to destroy you. There is no doubt in my mind. This morning when I was talking, when the PowerPoint messes up, Sometimes I think the devil's doing it just to try to discourage me. Get me off of what I'm thinking. Get you off of what you're thinking. Look at, this, look at the screens. And you know what? Sometimes that happens, and there's no doubt in my mind that, that the devil's doing it. 
I was preaching one time about the devil and one of our chandeliers fell down. Thank God no one was under it. That was God's, God's thing, taking care of that. But I remember everybody's like, oh, we, should we close the service? No, we're not going to close the service. The devil doesn't like what we're doing. It was funny, everybody else was sitting under chandeliers kind of like moved over. <laughs> you know, we've got to get to the point where we understand that we have, a, we have an adversary and he wants to destroy you. It's not the preacher that wants to destroy you. It's not your Sunday school teacher that wants to destroy you. It's not the Bible. It's not God that wants to destroy you. Satan does. And I've seen destroyed people. It's not fun to see them. One of my biggest preacher boys from our first ministry, he went to a real large public school, and actually the public school was a fairly conservative school. They let him go before all the football games and pray with the football players, and, and they, they would kneel and they'd do all, and this is back in the 90s, but it's still a very conservative school. Well, he went off to Bible college, and I thought, man, he's going to do well, and gonna do, the Lord's going to bless him with what he's doing. Fast forwarded about four or five years, and a man shows up at our church. He's got long dreadlocks. He's got a beard. He's got red hair, and, his, and, he, and he smells really bad. He's been living off the land, and he walks in, and I'm, I'm working on collating some things, and me and another assistant pastor, and there was three ladies in there helping us collate some stuff. He walks in the room, and he says, do you know who I am? The other assistant pastor had worked with him numerous times. I looked at his eyes, and I said, yes, sir, I do know who you are. The other assistant pastor said, I don't know who you are. I said his first name. I said, Scott, what are you doing? He said, well, Brother Wagner, he said, I'm not doing very well. Proceeded to tell, tell me what he had been doing, and later on I would find about, a, a, about two or three months later, he would end up passing away of a drug overdose in a, in a hotel room in Chicago all by himself. One of my best preacher boys. The last question I asked him when he was in that room with me, I asked him this question. I said, what do you think of God? And I'll never forget, this is the same preacher boy that preached to everybody in his high school, very large high school. He prayed at their, at their graduation. He looked at me with empty eyes. He said, that's a hard question to answer. You want me to tell you what happened? There was an adversary that attacked a young man when he was in Bible college. You were to go into my office. I have a Bible. It's got a little Illinois symbol underneath it. You were to open up that Bible. You see that young man's name, Scott, on that Bible. And the devil doesn't play fair. He's going to destroy you. And look at this, and the word devour. I don't think if I ever jumped in to a lion's den that they would just come up to me and I'd start petting them. Hey, how you doing? They would devour you. Just like Satan will. In fact, the Bible says that we're, we're the salt of the earth. Remember that? But then it says if you've lost its savor, what happens to the salt of the earth? It's thenceforth thrown out, and what do people do? They walk upon it. But they do in biblical times. So we're the salt of the earth, and all of a sudden we're, we're, we're gravel to people. The devil doesn't necessarily have to kill you. He just needs to destroy your testimony. And that's what he'll do. And keep reading in verse number 9. It says this. It says in verse number 9, it says, Whom resists steadfast in the faith? The only way you can resist Satan is through faith. 
in this faith. And then keep reading, it says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplishing your brethren that are in the world. Other people are going through what we go through. And Peter re remembers that and he calls that. Now watch verse number 10. Verse number 10 says this. It says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory of, by Christ Jesus, after they, that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish strength, and settle you. He just said that the adversary of the devil is going to destroy him, but then he said after you go through some things, God's going to make you who you need to be. And I like that word, establish you. He's going to establish you. And through it all, look at the next verse. Who are we supposed to give glory to when we get through something? It's not us. Have you ever heard anybody say, by, by God's grace, I did this? Look at this next verse. It talks about all the things we're going to go through, how Satan's going to attack us, how God needs to be the one that's lifted up. But verse number 11, it says to him. Verse number 11 says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And so when you go through things, understand this, that God is still in control. Cast your care upon Him. Why do we do that? A little statement that I said, how long is too short? Let's say that together. How long is too short? When it comes to time factor, I want you to turn over to Exodus. We're going to look at this. We're almost done. Exodus chapter um, 14. Exodus chapter 14. And as we look at this, I want, I want you to see this. And hopefully there's some leaders in here. Hopefully a lot of people in this room are leaders. But Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 10. Verse number 10 through 13. And it says this. It says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt, Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? And this is when they're up against the Red Sea. They can see the, 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 I don't know, the storm or the dust off these guys and they're coming and they know the Egyptians are coming to get them back. And they said, listen, we should have just died in Egypt. Keep reading and it says in verse number, in verse number 12, it says... And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt with us, to us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it, may, it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness? Didn't take them very long to start complaining. The time factor was not very long at all. In fact, keep reading the next verse. It says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of your Lord. God wanted to get them into a place that only God could get them out. He does the same thing with us every day. Sometimes we don't know how to think. We don't know what God wants. I was working with a, a man when I was growing up. I, I, we were delivering produce. And this is before they did this. This is back in the 80s. 
We were, and I was working with this guy, and I remember we were carrying these watermelons in, and we brought them in a big, in a big carton, and, and we had them on a, on a jack, and we, were, we pulled them all in there, and they said, well, we need you to put some of those out on the floor. So we were at the grocery store, and the man by the name of, another guy by the name of Scott, he was the, he was the guy in charge of it. So what we did is we sliced the watermelon. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't slice the watermelon back then. we just give them a whole watermelon and had to buy it. Well, I remember we were setting them out, and a lady walks up to him and says, hey, I don't want a whole watermelon. I just want a half a watermelon. Back then, they never did that. Now you go in, you can buy just a little bit in a bowl, or you can buy a half watermelon, a quarter watermelon, or whatever. And so he was out on the floor, and he came back in. He, he went through those plastic um, things hanging down, and, and he's walking, and he says to me and another guy, he says, there is an idiot out there that wants a half a watermelon. What he did not know was a lady had followed him back in the room. And he turns around and sees her, and he says, and this wonderful lady wants the other half. <laughs> you ever been in a situation you don't know how to respond? <clears throat> what if it's a dangerous situation? God's still in control. He's still in control. But how long is too short? Sometimes we forget what we've went through. You forget what you've went through. Oh, we should have just stayed in Egypt. Was their life in Egypt any better? It was worse. And they couldn't go back. Egypt was destroyed economically. Everything was destroyed. The only thing they had was this army that was marching to them. Let's go to another story. Go to Exodus chapter, um, verse number 23. Exodus chapter 15, verse 23. It says in verse number 23, it says, And when they came to Moriah, they, they could not drink of the waters of Moriah, for they were bitter. Therefore they named it, it was called Moriah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, by this time, all the, all the Egyptians were killed in the, in the Red Sea. And they've been out there. Go to the verse number 22. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out in the wilderness of Shur, and they were there how many days? Three days since this big battle came. And they get to a place, and they can't drink the water. I've got this written down. The same creation, the water, that saved them could not sustain them. You understand that? The same creation that God had made that water in the Red Sea held up on both sides, dry land, they walked through it. That's the thing that killed the, the Egyptians. But now they come up to a different body of water and that water can't sustain them. Not until God takes control. Moses comes in and he, and he hears them. He says, what are we going to drink? What shall we drink in verse number 24? And look at verse number 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the water, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. So they've went through this. Now when God comes in, the same creation that saved them can sustain them. That same body of water that they said they couldn't drink, now they can drink. It's no longer bitter. Hmm. Go to, go to Exodus chapter 16, verses 1, starting in verse number 1. And I just love reading about the Israelites. They're just so godly people. They've been through so much, and they just follow whatever God wants them to do. 
You wonder how God is so patient with them, but then I realize how God is patient with me. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 1, And they took the journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And then on the 15th day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now I'm sure Moses was totally shocked that they would do that. Totally shocked at what they would do. Keep reading and it says, um, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's interesting that the first time it was drinking, the second time it's food. And these are things we need to do, amen? Anybody drink anything today? Anybody eat anything today? Landon's the only one, praise God. We keep going, and it says in verse number 5, it says, and it shall come, in verse number 4, then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Now, when's the last time you walked outside and saw bread coming from heaven? Try this tonight. Say, Lord, I want some heaven. I want some, bre some bread coming from heaven. And God loved these people. He cared for these people. Go to verse number 8. You're not going to believe this. And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to, be, bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. How long is too short? We forget what God's done for us. Let's look at their story really quick. Don't forget what God's done. Stay close to him. Sometimes we forget in the darkness what he's done in the daylight. Think about these people when it comes to us. When in doubt, what you need to do is write a list down of what God's done. God done anything lately for you? You know, if I look over at Jonathan, I ask Jonathan, has God done anything for you? He could say, yes, I just recently got saved and baptized. You know what the devil's going to say? That doesn't mean anything. Because you know what? He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you know what? It means everything. We've got to get back to understanding what we've been through. I've been through a, with a wife that has cancer, had cancer. I've been with a mother that passed away of cancer. But you know what? I saw God's grace through the whole thing. I remember seeing my child as a young child wearing a little thing on her, on her, on her waist so we could figure out why she was collapsing. She'd be running along and then just collapse. We knew something was wrong with her heart. We, don't know what, we didn't know what it was. And you go to see a doctor and you're scared to death about it? Best thing that happened with that situation is the doctor sat us down and said, listen, she'll outgrow it. You know, you go through all these things. You have, this, you have all these things that go in front of you, and you see God work, but then when we get in a problem again, we say, what's going to happen in this problem? The God that sustains you back here will sustain you here, and it might not be the same way. Think about what the Israelites have went through. In a short matter of time, they have been told that they would no longer get the products to make the, the, the things that they needed to make for the Egyptians. So the Egyptians pull all these ingredients out and say, you better fend for yourself. 
And somehow God sustains them and they start making it and they're making it just as much as they did before. Then there's the first plague they go through and they see it. The second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, they go through all these ten plagues. And they see all these things and they see many of these plagues didn't affect them, but they affected the Egyptians. And then they get to this point where they're, they're, they say, okay, Pharaoh finally says, you can go. Egypt is devastated. Remember we talked about it. It smells really bad. They've got dead carcasses everywhere. Now they've got dead people everywhere. And Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. They get out of there and they get to the Red Sea and they start complaining. What are we going to do? These guys are going to kill us. The same God that, that helped them through the ten plagues and the same God that helped them prepare the, the, the things that they had to make for the Egyptians is the same God that's going to get them through the Red Sea. And we see it. He gets through the Red Sea. And three days later, after they've seen the chariots and the things up washing up on the, up on the beach, and they see dead Egyptians, the only people that could hurt them in Egypt are gone. They get three days out. How long is too short? They forgot three days ago that God had helped them get through this. And what do they do? What are we going to drink? Moses, we should have died in Egypt. Do you realize what life was, was before the ten plagues that they were there? It was terrible for them. Now they're out in the wilderness, and mind you, it's not an easy life. But then they go a, a couple months, and they're, and they're going, and they're in this area, and they say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? God had a plan for that. Can you honestly say that you would have came up with the same plan? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring bread down from, from heaven every morning. And you're going to eat it. What did they eventually do about the bread? You know what they want? Some meat. So what does God do? What's he give them? Quail. How many times... Do we forget what God's done for us? Now, how many of you believe me that the Israelites should have been thankful? I'm going to see a raising of hand. How many of you believe that the Israelites should have been more thankful? I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Okay. How come we can see what they go through and not thankful, but we can't see what we go through and we're not thankful? I have been blessed beyond all measure. God has done so many wonderful things in my life. It's not been an easy walk. It's not been an easy ministry. Life in ministry is not easy. Life outside of ministry is not easy. But I can tell you this. We have a God that knows what we need, when we need it. And we go back to 1 Peter he will bring the things along right when it's His timing. We've got to cast our cares upon Him. Now, how long is too short before you start murmuring? When I say the word murmur, you think of somebody? If you don't, it's probably you that murmurs, okay? So you better think of somebody. There's people that I know that every time, you, every time something happens, they complain about everything. And I'm not thinking of anybody in this church. 
But I've got family members, every time something happens, they complain about everything. Well, how come if you walked up to them and gave them a $50 bill, they'd want a $100 bill? You said a kind word or you said, you said something to them. What did you mean by that? We've got to get back to understanding. In our life, God will sustain us. We need to, we need to quit murmuring. The Bible says this. Paul writes this. Do all things. You know how it ends? Without murmuring. And then this other one is for the little kids in the room. And disputing. Right? Don't kid yourself, it's not just the kids either. Some of the worst disputers I know are people, or adults. We fail to realize what was on our list. Here's your homework for this week. I want you to write the five biggest things that God's ever got you out of. Write them down and put them in your Bible. You'll be amazed at God's grace. You'll be amazed at God's mercy. How long is too short? Sometimes I, I, I look back and I go, how am I going to get out of this? And sometimes I fret over the smallest things, right? Don't you? Well, they didn't look at me. They didn't talk to me. What were they thinking? As a pastor, you know what I do? Why weren't they here? Where were they at? Now, you know what the worst Sunday to do that on? is next Sunday night, amen? Well, you football players know what I'm talking about. You know what I always pray for on, on football Sunday? The team with the most people in church wins, amen? <laughs> we serve a great God, don't we? There's no reason to murmur. When you murmur, what do you do? Okay. Go back to our original verse. How long is too how, how, how long is too short? Go to go to um, First Peter chapter five. When you murmur, you know what you do. Go to verse number eight. When you murmur, or you think you're sober, you know what you do when you murmur. You're vulnerable. When you murmur, you think you're vigilant. No, you're not. You're vulnerable. And so when you murmur and you, you start disputing about what God's done or what God has not done, all of a sudden the devil knows that and he can come in and he can destroy you. That's why you've got to put the two together. Don't be murmuring. Don't be disputing. God knows exactly what you're doing. Cast all your cares upon him. And remember, those five things that God got you through, he can get you through number six. Is there anything that God can't do? If he can bring bread down from heaven, he can get water to make bitter water sweet, he can stop water from going so the people can go across on dry land and make water go to kill the people that were going to kill his people, he can take care of me. How long is too short? How long is my, when it comes to my memory, do I forget things? We sure do serve a God that loves us. And he does care. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, don't let me forget what you've done. Lord, let me review maybe even 20 things that you've done. 
Let me not forget the things that you've done for me and through me, through your, through, not through my ability, through your ability. Lord, may I not be a murmur. Oh, the church was too cold. Oh, it was too hot. The weather was too cold. It was too hot. The preacher was too long. The missionaries were too boring. You can come up with excuses all the time. Lord, may we not be a murmuring church. I don't think we are, Lord, but Lord, I know that sometimes things can sneak in. May we be a church that is vigilant, sober. How long is too short? Let us not forget what we've went through. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you could stand for us. Daniel's going to start playing in just a second. With no one looking around. If... If Paul writes no murmuring, and you shouldn't murmur or you shouldn't dispute, you think God wants us to do that? Absolutely. Don't give place to the devil. Because when you murmur and you, and you complain and you dispute, you become negative. That's not what God wants us to be. How many of you in this room would say, you know, God's brought me through a lot of different things? All over the auditorium. Tonight, I just want you to spend some time either at this old-fashioned altar or in your pews, and thank Him for what He's done. Remind yourself so that we don't murmur, that we don't complain. If you're in here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, come see me. I'd love to show you what the Bible says about salvation. The Bible says that you can know you have eternal life. That alone is something to praise God over. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to think, what's God brought you through? What are you thankful for? I want this altar, I want people to come up to this altar and say, Lord, I'm just thankful for what you've done in my life. And maybe this, what you've not done.